0: All right, cool. So we'll just get started. Welcome back to The The Mentors. Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. We got it right again. We should be proud of ourselves. We're good at that. And this is a show where we tell stories about ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite lack of experience. Money or connections. And today's episode is incredibly exciting to us, not only because it's going to appease our mother who wanted us to drink more kefir, kefir, kefir however Americans say it, <laughs> um, when we were growing up, uh, but also because we have with us on the show, I'm going to say your name in Russian, Yulia Smolensky, or Julie Smolensky, uh, who of course is the CEO of Lifeway, which makes kefir Uh, which a lot of Americans now know. I think 20, 30 years ago, nobody knew what it was. Uh, And Julie has a really, really exciting story and really fits the profile of the types of people we love to talk to because the story is unusual, and we want to make entrepreneurship more accessible to everybody. Now, Julie became CEO of her then public company, or I should say her family's public company, at the age of 27 years old. Since then, her and her brother grew the company, I think, 12x, so close to $150 million in revenue. Uh, julia has gone on to do some incredible things, including being featured uh, in uh, Fortune's 40 Under 40 Fast Companies, most creative people in business. You are a producer of documentaries. You are now an author of a newly published book. The Kefir Cookbook, which, by the way, I just bought, and I can honestly
1: say this is the first cookbook that I've ever purchased, and I'm already excited about the recipes that are in there. Not and the only recipes, stuff. yeah. It's uh, Most cookbooks don't actually come with uh, the type of content that would make people like us interested, but yeah. there are entrepreneurial stories in there. There are things that are going to make people interested, not just that want to cook, but that want to learn about creation and learn about um, where food comes from. And there's just so much cool content in there um, that we're really excited for you guys to read The Kefir Cookbook you should get your copy. Um, so Julie, you uh, became CEO of this company at a very young age. But I think the success that you had, it's, it's obvious that it didn't happen by accident. Um, your family has a very interesting history of entrepreneurship. And your family deliberately, uh, I think, baked the entrepreneurial gene into you and the entrepreneurial mindset into you from a very early age. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, the early days of, it could be Lifeway, which I believe was started in 1986. Is that right? Correct. 86. Uh, and maybe even before Lifeway, because I know your parents were entrepreneurs well before that. And immigrants, I think, make some of the best Some of the stuff I read about your mom was incredible, <laughs> exclusive contracts with
0: Russian food distributors. It's not...
1: she's, yeah, she's uh, she's pretty badass. So Um, Tell us a little bit about how they got started and how they involved you in the very early days as a kid.
2: Yeah, I know. Well, thanks for having me. It's so fun to be here talking about one of my favorite topics, which is entrepreneurship, Um, something I think that is accessible to everybody, no matter where you are and um, who you are. Um, Well, you know, it's really interesting. So my parents and I were refugees from the former Soviet Union and we came in 1976. We were the first of 48 families that were allowed to settle in Chicago. And I think my mom, you know, she was a young woman in her 20s. uh, Very intuitively, um, something that I think comes very naturally for women is to feed their families and to show their love uh, through food uh, and and to feed their communities. and she recognized very early on that there was this lack of eastern european food that while america was plenty you know had so much food compared to her you know uh, homeland in the ukraine and the soviet union which was just scarcity you know they stood in line for a chicken half the day and then they get to the front of the line and there was no chicken so she she recognized that there was a different kind of food in in the united states and that she was be able, would be able to feed her community and um create a space you know her she, she opened the first russian deli 2 years after settling and her deli became almost like a t- town square, a place where immigrants, the first thing that they did when they landed is they'd stop at, at her store at Globus Deli and stop in for some of the home cooked meals or the flavors that they were used to. Because I think when you're displaced from home, what all you want is a taste of home and uh, everyone just flocked there. And so she became very successful in her deli. And uh, they, they both my parents uh, would would just uh, give out lots of advice, whatever that they had learned on their journey. Uh, they had pa- paved a, a certain path uh, that it became a lot easier for the immigrants who came after them. And it was all, you know, based on this idea of entrepreneurship that through um, their survival, their need to survive, that they were able to create a life for themselves and then also support their community and do good in their community and. Um, and then they, so so the deli was sort of the first step. And then uh, she also started to import and distribute Eastern European foods, not just in Chicago, but to delis that were opening up like in New York and Brighton Beach or in Los Angeles, the various communities where immigrants were settling, immigrants from the Soviet Union. And one of her first successful deals, and I write about this in the book, is um, you know everyone on their way to the United States, they would be uh, in exile held in Italy. And in Italy was the first time she tried Nutella. (laughs) And uh, it was before Nutella came to the United States and she tried it and she said, oh my God, it's so good. And all of the other immigrants who are going to be coming through into the United States are going to try Nutella for the first time. And when they come back, when they get to the United States, they're going to be looking for this Nutella, but it doesn't exist here. So she cut the first deal with Nutella to import a few cases into the States and then she started selling it to all the delis and wow. in the country. So it was this intuitive, natural ability that, that she had. Um, and, and it was so fascinating because, you know, women's rights was happening all around her, but she didn't know who Gloria Steinem was and she didn't know that she should have been fighting for her rights. She just went out and did what she needed to do to put food on her table and to survive. And, um, Yeah, she's a, she's a total badass. I tell a lot of those stories in the book. And that sort of started the beginning of my parents in the food industry and the food space. And so they went to Germany in 86 on a food buying show. um, And... Tried three bottles of kefir in the bought some in the grocery store there. And my dad said, oh, America has everything, but it doesn't have kefir. <laughs> and my mom said, Well, you're an engineer. Why don't you build the machinery, build a plant, and I'll distribute it through my network? And six months later they incorporated LifeWay Foods and LifeWay started distributing you know kefir to all the stores around the country, basically. I mean, it took time, but eventually, Probably like the Russian deli yeah, type of stores. Right. Okay. Initially, it was just the Russian stores, and mm-hmm. then at the same time, there was this fascination with, um, uh, you know, the perestroika Pir- was happening, and Gorbachev and Reagan were meeting, and um, actually, a, a, a staffer, a White House staffer, uh, called up to the office and said, you know, we heard about you this you're a russian immigrant and we're going to be meeting with gorbachev can you send a case of your kefir to us so gorbachev so so reagan brought a case of kefir to gorbachev when they were meeting for their peace process so we like to credit that (laughs) (laughs) we we, we (laughs) we help bring the wall down (laughs) with uh, one one bottle of kefir at a time um yeah but so that, try that in
1: Gaza, i think right now. right
2: oh my god i mean everywhere we <laughs> need more peace in the world <laughs> yeah. um but yeah so it, it was this natural feeling of of wanting to feed people wanting to survive and like everyone eats you know my dad always says food is recession proof and it's kind of true i mean even yeah you really learn that no matter who you are what we come to gather around is the table the kitchen table and uh you know, being able to feed your family is sort of the basic need. Hmm.
0: You know, uh, oftentimes people that are innately entrepreneurial, uh, when they have sort of a, a major life event, like emigrating to a new country, uh, they are the ones that are able to be resourceful, uh, not only because it's sort of innate, uh, but also because you have to be. Like you said, your mom wanted to feed people, your obviously family had to. Uh, Feed the children as well Uh, And so uh, You know what I love about What your sort of mom and dad did Or especially your mother Especially as a woman Especially in the 80s or in the 70s uh, Is you know I'm going to figure out how to do this And make money for the family And did it successfully And didn't let anything hold her back Like um, you know seeing opportunities Wherever they went It it feels like Absolutely Yeah
1: and see I mean what was their level of English when they got here? Did Zero. they speak at all?
2: Yeah, so my mom learned English watching General Hospital, <laughs> you know? Wow. I mean, it's and it's sort of a very similar path that many immigrants walk through. And um, the challenges, I think the bravery that immigrants show every time they open their mouth and they speak with an accent and the person on the receiving end is looking at them with a blank, you know, stare like, I don't understand you. That's bravery and courage. And that's something that we can all be inspired by. Uh, I think we really under appreciate the value that immigrants have, you know, placed in our country and, and the work ethic and, and some of those survival skills.
1: I love that your parents uh, figured out how to tap into their own community, provide value for their own community. They spent the first 10 years grinding it out, running delis, which anybody that's ever run a business like that will tell you it is not easy. Um, They grew that operation and then they went into, they they were looking at the bigger picture. They had a big vision, I think, which uh, let me ask you that uh, too. Is that something, did they just think it's a huge market opportunity, Kefir? And they thought that maybe, how do they know that Americans would adopt it as a beverage? Was that just a guess? Yeah.
2: You know, I don't think my dad at first thought that. I think he first thought, oh, this will be for the Russian community, and the Russian immigrants are coming you know, boatloads. And they were. It was a mass exodus between the 80s and 90s of uh, Soviet Jews and Russians in general and Ukrainians. Um, Mass, mass exodus. And I think that initially he just thought that would be the market, but you know, as I mentioned, uh, Gorbachev and Reagan. So, so what happened after that was that the media just fell in love with the story. They were obsessed with all this this American dream idea and this crazy Russian immigrant who thinks that he can take over, you know, compete with yogurt, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we were getting a lot of media attention. And that's what prompted him to decide to go public, actually, because mm. he was growing so fast, he couldn't keep up with the demand and he needed capital. So somebody said, you should go public. So he went to the Skokie Public Library and researched what that meant and <laughs> wrote his own business plan and took himself private uh, public. Wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. And well, what happened after that is that since at the same time there was a fascination with healthy eating in the US, uh, like natural and organic foods was just starting to go. It was like the end of the 70s, you know, people start in the coast, New York and L.A. were looking at organic and natural foods, still a dusty little space in most stores and most uh, grocery stores. And there was just co-ops and small natural food stores popping up. And the health benefits started to become known. And this 2,000-year-old product that is filled with health benefits and stories and folklore around it for 2,000 years, it survived because of the word of mouth of people talking about the health benefits that they felt intuitively when they drank. That story became known in the health communities and the natural food communities. And that's where it really grew at the same time as it was growing in the Russian market. So now we have these two markets that were really supportive communities, health and Russian communities. That really propelled our our growth. And then as natural foods became more popular, more mainstream mass, mass market, you know, as Walmart and Target and Costco and, you know, club stores like that even have embraced natural food and organic food. And, you know, now there's a movement to have healthy eating and healthy foods in every single place we eat, in every corner of of our uh, um, dining experience. Um, that really has helped Lifeway and other companies like Lifeway that have been pioneering in this space. So, yeah, it's been a huge you know, lift of work ethic, the, you know, labor of love. I, there's not enough at, you know, adjectives to describe the blood, sweat, and tears that went into building the company.
0: I bet. You know, Sergey and I often talk about working on things that you know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Uh, or where you have a network. Uh, so who you know, what you know. Clearly this kind of came natural um, Your mom recognized that sort of she can execute on the business side. Your dad is the engineer He can execute on the tinkering in the basement and figuring out how this works um, So you have a clearly a naturally complementary team mm-hmm. So step one step two you have a market to go after because there's a lot of russians coming to the u.s And at the very least that's gonna work and then from there, and we always say, you know, you just have to get started because you don't know what's going to happen. Your dad couldn't have known that within two years he was going to go public. He couldn't have known that there was going to be these huge movements in the market towards sort of healthy eating and also, um, uh, you know, consuming these types of products as well uh, and that people would adopt them so quickly. It's impossible to know. Right. But he did have something to anchor against because there was some expertise
1: there uh, and knowledge. Totally. And Julie, um, when you think about, and I want to get a little bit more into your story when you joined the company, when you took over the company, but even before that, when you think about in hindsight, uh, the thing that made you, the things that you did as a child or the things that your parents had you do or or ingrained in you as a child that then most helped you uh, be a successful CEO and a successful entrepreneur in your own right. What do you think some of those things are? Do you have a couple yeah. of maybe stories of the type of things you did as a child and, and the interactions that you had with your parents? That
2: yeah, helped? yeah. I have had some great experiences with my parents. I always say I'm so fortunate and lucky that I had these entrepreneurial parents who, you know, these were normal dinner conversations uh, about business and, you know, customer satisfaction and making sure that, you know, our community was being uh, fed. and But, you know, the things that they did with us, they like summer vacations, for example, we would work in the warehouse and apply price tags onto products and put stuff onto the shelves. Or, um, my brother would be on the cheese packing line and, uh, in the production facility or, um, gosh, I mean, I remember New Year's. So they also opened up a Russian restaurant. New Year's Eve is obviously the most uh, kind of busiest evening that, that we had. So I was, uh, in charge of pouring all the water on the table. So I'd walk, you know, as a water, water person. Um, and then right before midnight, I would Bring out all the, the party favors and the hats and all the horns and stuff. So I, they found any sort of job that a kid could do, and we were responsible for doing it. So yeah, I mean, those kinds of skills, how lucky was I that I got a work experience before I was even 16, um, which most children don't get. Uh, so I, I really do feel like I kind of went to the school of life with them and uh, watched them work really, really hard. Um, I learned what was really important in a successful business, you know, how, how, uh, they really were dependent on their community and vice versa and how important that is in building and supporting, but also, um, you know, this, this, uh, fearlessness, courage, you know, the can do attitude goes so far and I've seen so many people just be stifled and and prevented from moving forward because they're so worried about getting it perfect or getting it, you know, having the exact perfect plan or, or, you know, trying to find consensus on what to do. And, you know, you could run around and never, ever actually launch anything because you're so focused or so worried or so fearful or whatever. And my parents didn't have any of that. You know, they took their biggest risk, which was leaving everything that they had. And I think when you're sort of at rock, bottom and you have nothing to lose. Uh, the only place to go is up. And they were just grateful to be in the United States, to be in a land that they were free in, um, that they could, you know, build out the life that they wanted. And so everything after that was like the cherry on the top. There's no failure after that. Um, it's just, you know, now put in what you want to get out. Um, and so they, they put in, I guess, a lot of, of work into this country and into building out the company and the values.
0: You know, it's funny. We have somewhat of a similar story, too, in that uh, w- Soviet immigrant children know a thing or two about child labor. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we also literally at the age of 11, I remember our dad, uh, our, our dad, our mom spoke English when we came to America. She was an English teacher in Belarus, but our dad did not. And he never quite learned it fully, but he learned it enough to operate a business. Yeah. However, when the time came to negotiate with vendors or to yell <laughs> <laughs> at someone for being late on an order, uh, he would be like, Vadim Sergey, come here, you know, did you that? And we'd have to talk on the phone at 11, 12 years old with these guys, and he'd be like telling us what to tell them, and it'd feel uncomfortable, and it would suck, and we wouldn't want to do it. And I would t- try to tell- make Sergei do it if right. I could, and vice versa. But, how beneficial this was for us when we were starting businesses or when we were starting new initiatives, even like this podcast, or when you have to approach people cold, or you know, normally maybe other people might be too afraid to make the move. We weren't really afraid, uh, as we got older because we had already gone through a bunch of stuff. Right. I will say it's okay to be afraid at any age. Um, sometimes you know, you can get a little panic attack when something uh, exciting Definitely. is happening. It's okay, even if you're experienced, it's still okay. Yeah, uh, but that sort of background as children, um, you know, we, our dad ended up paying for college. So he, he more than paid back yeah. uh, for, for the work that we did. But it was, compl- it was invaluable.
2: Yeah, I think today's children are especially fearless. I mean, I mm. watch my own kids uh, play with electronics, you know create content and videos and share and speak so confidently to other adults i'm really inspired by the youth in the world i think that you know we our greatest asset in our country is the youth in the world and and their ideas and their their um motivation and and kind of desire to thrive uh it's going to be interesting to see what this next generation does
1: hmm. yeah absolutely um it's so great that your your parents taught you the value of hard work by making you work and and doing the menial work too, and I'm sure that understanding everything end to end, what even the people working in the in the um, facility, the factory, actually making the product we're going through, mm-hmm. made you a more empathetic leader. Yeah. But. I think that uh, you mentioned to us in the pre-interview that um, you thought originally that you were going to do social work. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So um, you were you were trying to make that a career. Uh, and uh, of course, you had the the unfortunate experience of, of your dad leaving this world very early. Um, he was in his 50s uh, in 2002. And you were 27 years old. And there's this opportunity to take over the company and run it now. Right. Um, Can you tell us about what was going through your mind when that, uh, I mean, you obviously emotions were high and that must've been a difficult decision to make. How did it happen? You know, did the board just approach you and say, Hey, Julie, we need you to run the company or did you just say, or did you make that decision for yourself? How did that actually come, come to play?
2: Yeah. I mean, I made the decision right away. Um, like the minute that it happened, it wasn't even a question for me, um, but, uh, so I had worked with my dad for five years before he had passed away. So I, I, um, did leave grad school for psychology. I left school to go full time with my dad. I sort of realized that, you know, what I wanted to do, my, my goal was to change the world, to help people make, um, better lifestyle choices. And I actually studied advertising and its, uh, impact on uh, dieting behavior. So it wasn't completely out of the, uh, space. So, I found myself in my dad's office working on uh, just working part-time, honestly. I had no intention of working for him, and within two weeks, I fell in love. Suddenly, this time, it clicked. You know, All the other times, I just didn't want to have anything to do with business. I was focused on psychology, on changing the world. But some reason, something this – the two weeks that I worked with him, I – heard these marketing conversations in a way that I'd never heard. I don't, you know, I think maybe he was just really focused on the health benefits. And I started paying attention to that. And I thought, you know, I could help people make better food choices with my dad's product, my family's product, that it it offers so many health benefits. You know, it it could be a for profit venture. I don't have to work in a nonprofit capacity, and make the world a better place that way. And I became obsessed. I couldn't sleep. I became obsessed with marketing plans and sales plans and all of it. So I left school, went full-time with my dad. I worked side-by-side with him for five years until he passed away. And the next day, it was just I knew that I was going to take over. Um, other people didn't. I did have to fight for it. Mm. Uh, but it was no question in my mind. Um, and then I think with I mean, very quickly, I think anyone who was not supporting me became supportive. And... You know, I just thought failure is not an option. My parents had risked too much, had given up too much to let it all go. Um, you know, what would be the option to sell the company? We would have gotten peanuts for it. It would have all been gone. Um, so, you know, I thought we are still in the middle of executing on our plan. We haven't even started. Um, and so I just got to work. I put my head down. My brother, you know, he was really, really young. He was just six months out of school. Um, We just did everything we had to do. I sometimes worked like 22 hour days, like literally slept two hours um, the first few weeks. And uh, I think for the first four years, I kind of really didn't feel human. I was still mourning my father. And I looked at the company as a place where I could put that energy and my sadness into doing the, the work that he wanted to do. And I, I was really, really encouraged and inspired by all that he had done. And I knew for sure that he had a lot more and my mom had a lot more obstacles and that my challenges were different than theirs. That while I had challenges that I was a young woman, and you know, youth being probably the biggest uh, issue there, Uh, I knew that they had their obstacles and, you know, here I was a young woman educated in the United States with a lot more resources. Um, I should be able to do this.
1: Wow. Um, that's so, well, one thing that stands out to me that I hope people don't overlook is that you found your passion in the business. It took you some time to get there, but a lot of people think that passion is this like thing that. You know one day you'll get inspired and you'll find it. And sometimes some people get lucky and that happens. But sometimes it actually just takes a mindset shift. You connected the things that you care about, which is right. bringing a benefit to people, um some sort of health benefit, some sort of mental health benefit, whatever it might be, to this for-profit venture that through which you could actually have more impact than you otherwise would be able to, most likely. And I think once that clicked for you, it was easier, not easy, but easier to put in those long hours
2: 100
1: so that's awesome that you found that passion um were you going to add something with him i was going to ask a question (laughs) uh no because i'm
0: curious um you know obviously the passion helped you work hard and and just figure things out along the way which is exactly what a true entrepreneur does but you took the company into such high growth over the years you know um could you point to anything that you think really contributed to that Um, So, obviously, the market probably was a little bit more accepting uh, and growing as well. But what do you think you did differently, maybe? Or what approach did you bring to the table, you or your brother, your team, um, that really helped the company grow and and how we were able to capitalize on this market? Because Lifeway is the only kefir that I've ever drank since coming to America. And we came in in the 90s uh, and getting it from Russian stores. So I've always been aware of the brands. But obviously... I brought, the, uh, brought this up to uh, the folks in my office that are all American and they all knew what LifeWay was. Awesome. So clearly a lot of brand recognition now. But how do you Great. get to that point? What do you think was the, if if there's something you can pinpoint?
2: Finding some of these key markets where we knew that we would sell. It's like the 80-20 rule. So we focused really hard on some key key markets and key customers. Markets and, being geographic markets? Yeah, okay. geographic markets, um, as well as uh, micro you know, markets within geographic markets. So like health communities within Los Angeles or within a particular zip code where we knew that we were getting already great success, that if we put a little bit more investment that we could get more success even. So kind of knowing who our customer was, um, sharing you know messaging around that. But storytelling has always been such an important part of this brand, um, this this product, this brand, which is why I wrote the book also, is, is these rich stories that exist around it. Uh, those were some of the the big the big things um you know creating a company culture that that we could retain a loyal workforce that it really felt like family within the the company it feels like family it still feels like how family. how many employees do you know, uh, today we have about 320 wow. uh yeah so we you know started obviously with two mm-hmm. um and when we took over it was about 70 mm-hmm. so we've definitely grown our workforce which i'm super proud of um uh, those are some of the really, you know, key, I think, key points.
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly your family, your dad built this foundation. Yeah. And you, with keen marketing, I think, you you had a, a good nose for um, how to get into a broader market, I think, that was necessary at that point in time to grow that business, uh, which I think is what made it successful, it seems like. I want to back up just a little bit because there's something I want to uncover here, especially for the young women out there that are uh, thinking about starting a business and maybe don't have the confidence, don't have the experience. Somehow at 27 years old, you, you said you had to fight to get that CEO position because there's probably other people in the company that wanted it. Maybe there's other investors, board members that wanted it. Um, how did you have the confidence to fight for it and what did you do to win it?
2: Um, I just I gave a really passionate speech on the night that my dad passed away or the next the next morning. Um actually, uh, there was the situation where there was an older uh, man who, Told my mom, "Oh, you know, you need a little gray hair to run the company. There's some big players out there. She's not going to be able to do it. Trust me." And as soon as someone says "trust me," don't trust them. <laughs> <a good> <laughs> big, big point. Yeah. Uh, so she didn't. And uh, listen, like I, like I said, we grew up with this. Nobody knew what was going on in the company better than. I did, honestly, because my dad shared everything with me, especially the last five years. It was sort of like, I don't know, maybe in some deep level, in some kind of weird university, you know, spiritual level, like he knew he was going to go, he had a sudden heart attack, he didn't know, but maybe in some unconscious way, he knew, and he was like really adamant about telling me everything that I needed to know, and like he wanted me to know all the secrets of the business all of his everything he he really was determined like In a weird way, to tell everything that he could in as much time, in as little time as he could. And even like the week before he passed away, I remember we had an annual meeting of shareholders and somebody raised their hand and said, You know, Mike, it's like you're a one man operation. What happens if something happens to you? And he said, Well, I've been training my kids uh, their whole lives to take over. I'm confident that they'll be able to. And I think part of it was this confidence that he had in us, which really helped us have confidence in ourselves selves. Um, you know, he always pointed out strong female role models for me and always shared kind of, um, what his, uh, dreams were for us. And I think when you have a parent, both parents kind of supporting you and telling you that, you know, that you can do anything and that they want this for you, it's a lot easier to step into that. So we're really, really lucky. And, um, I think, uh, I, I think that the lessons that I've seen from my parents, but not just from my parents, I've traveled to third world countries and I've spent time even in a refugee camp where I saw entrepreneurship thriving in every corner. And I think it's this idea that when you are up against the wall, when you have nowhere to go, you find a way to thrive and you find a way to to live. And that is something that no matter what corner of the universe you're in, it's these Universal lessons that we can apply to change the world, to heal our world, to make our world better. That that even through business, and oftentimes through business, it is the way that we can change the world. Um, That we can all kind of innovate products, services, whatever, messaging, whatever it is, wherever your skill is, whatever you're passionate about. We can all tap into these skills that we might have intuitively to. Build a better world to change it to you know make it work better for us for our families. I think finding the need, finding something that's missing, finding something that solves a problem. You know, they look around, find any number of problems, and uh, start tackling that in, in all the different ways, and uh, never give up and keep 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 at it. But passion, you know, connecting the passion with the purpose, it becomes a real powerful combination.
0: And clearly it has for you, and, you know, I love that you referenced that example of, of what you saw in the refugee uh, area. You know, entrepreneurship can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Uh, back against the wall, we always say uh, it's sort of the best way not only to test uh, what you're made of, but also a lot of times to, to get motivated too. But when, even if you don't have your back against the wall, when you can connect uh, passion to purpose, uh Oftentimes you can just figure things out and you said it really well, you know, it doesn't really matter what your profile is. It doesn't matter if you're young, old man, woman. It doesn't matter if you're experienced in that space, if you have gray hair or not. Uh, You could still make it work. You know, you could still tap into your innate skills and figure it out as long as you care enough. About something like that Obviously You've been fortunate enough To have the role models in your parents We have as well You've been fortunate enough To have a strong mother uh, Who basically Made you feel like The sky's the limit Now you're a strong mother um, And you just told us That your daughter Is going to be Now your nine-year-old daughter Is going to be speaking In front of a How many people uh, tomorrow?
2: Hundreds Hundreds of people <laughs>
0: Nine years old uh, Obviously she feels empowered To do that Partly yeah. because She's seeing her mom Do all these amazing things uh, With the opportunities That she's had And that is the message That we want people to understand and that's part of why we're doing this podcast is yeah. you can do it you can figure it out it doesn't matter who you are but you do have to start somewhere you have
2: to start somewhere yeah i and that's i'm saying i'm so encouraged by the young people that i meet today in the world they're just so so smart in a different way than you know i could ever understand i mean the way that they play with electronic devices the way that they can just navigate them it, it is so intuitive and I am curious to see how those skills translate in real world as they get older. Uh, but yeah, my daughter, you know, in, in, I think in part because they're so busy creating these various videos and, you know, YouTube videos and all of this, they've got, my daughter is very confident in front of a camera, in front of people. Uh, I've always kind of pushed her out also. And, and I think that's you know, again, learning some of the lessons from my parents is just giving them the opportunities to play around, to test it out, to see how it feels to be uncomfortable, to have a little bit of that sense of, you know butterflies and and uh, and feel, you know, that they have to conquer something and and maybe make a mistake and move on from that and, you know, recover. All of these are really important skills to have. But I think that we do as a society underestimate the voice of youth. We just think, oh, those kids, they don't know. Wait until they get older. And I think it's really condescending for young people. I think, you know, young people have some of the greatest ideas. Um, They're uh, really underestimated. And I think, when you're underestimated, it's a really also very powerful place to be in. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah,
1: absolutely. For for the right type of person, being underestimated drives them. Yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right. Young people, they see the world from a different perspective yeah. than us older folk do, uh, just because they were born into a different world, of course. Uh, and it, it's so important to give them the ability to make their own mistakes, uh, but also instill the confidence in themselves. Right. And Which is I'm-
2: why I think I think the greatest teams are the ones that have diversity, right? They mm-hmm. have an eclectic, diverse uh, set of, of skills, young people, old people, various backgrounds, various colors, various sexes, various orientations, all of that mm-hmm. I think makes a really powerful team. So um, that's one of the things that we really value at Lifeway.
0: Before we wrap up, Um, I've been really wanting to ask this question What's your favorite flavor of Kefeea? <laughs> and I hope I can get the right answer here. But
2: <laughs> Well, I'm a purist. And I so it. I just love organic plain right out of the bottle. My family screams at me, but they know not oh, to drink dro- mine. <laughs> I just drink it right out of the bottle and I don't let anyone touch mine. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I, I just love like the tart and tangy. I want some right now. Just talking about it. Uh, tart and tangy. Some. It's it's just so... It hits the spot. It, I don't even know how to describe it except the tart and tangy cool <laughs> flavor as soon as it hits my mouth I'm first of all transported every time to the very first time that I tried it which was when my dad was playing around with it in the basement wow. so yeah I love it and then of course having all knowing now all the health benefits I always feel like I'm doing something great when I'm you know drinking it because I think also we've been so conditioned to take things out of our diet that we feel so guilty every time we eat something. What I like to think about is how can we make food a pleasurable experience where there's no shame and no guilt and make the food work for us and make the food fuel our dreams and fuel all of our passions and desires? I mean, I feel like you can't change the world if you're running on empty. So I. Feel like if that's something I can help people do, you know, live a healthier life through food, through you know how they think about themselves, about their 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 dieting and whatnot, then that's a pretty good way to to live. But um, I'm really encouraged by my customers. You know, I always go back to my customers who call me and tell me about their stories and their experiences with our product and like one night I was working really late and this woman called me from uh, New York from from uh, Jamaica New York right Jamaica's mm-hmm. a yeah, city Yeah so she called she said she had Crohn's disease horrible Crohn's disease and she was going to have surgery to remove her digestive tract she was supposed to have about 80% of her tract removed horrible somebody on a whim told her drink try Lifeway kefir See how that works. So she did. And within two weeks, she was practically symptom-free. She canceled two her surgery. Weeks. Yeah, wow. canceled her surgery, stopped taking all of her medication, and now just drinks our product. And um, when you realize that you can save someone from surgery, from something that's has so much risk, you know, or or over the, these, these pharmaceutical, you know, drugs that we're prescribing like crazy... Um, when you can prevent that and, and kind of help people live a very natural life through a product like this, uh, it, it's all the purpose you need, actually. It's all the motivation. And so on those hard days, I think about my customers.
0: Well, yeah. you're really making me regret the cheeseburger I had earlier. It's I okay. feel like I need to make a difference. It's all about balance.
2: No shame. <laughs> no, but
0: it just goes to show, first of all, how important diet is. But how incredible it is that um, through a food company, you've been able to make such a difference. Uh, yeah. And not only in people's lives by way of diet, but also uh, in motivating other people that may have not felt like certain things are possible to them. So uh, thank you so much, thank Julie, you. for being on our show. Uh, if you've never tried Kefir, please do go to your nearest, uh, I guess, Russian deli. Or you where? you go anywhere. Anywhere. anywhere now. Life oh, yeah. oh, yeah. is yeah. sold anywhere now. That's Roasters. true. Um, you, can, you can buy basically anywhere. Pick up the Kefir... I'm going to say the kefir because it makes me, I feel weird saying it in English. The kefir (laughs) cookbook, the kefir cookbook by Julie Smilansky. It's available in Barnes & Nobles, and I'm sure on Amazon Amazon. and online. Um, It's an incredible cookbook. And I'm definitely going to be sharing some of the recipes with my mom because she loves kefir. Uh, and also, if you know somebody in your life, uh, even if it's a if it's an adult, if it's a child, but somebody that's going through some hardships and needs a little bit of motivation, this is an incredible story. Please share this episode and Julie's story with them, and hopefully, it'll motivate them to sort of get going and give them the confidence to just make moves on whatever it is that they want to do without yeah. overthinking it. Without overthinking it. Yeah. That's what Go you with
2: do. your gut. Exactly. Follow Ooh. your gut.
0: Wow, how relevant! Go with your gut. Drink probiotics. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot for Thanks being with you, Julie. <laughs> Thanks.